My name is Dale Wilbur, and most of you know that I serve here at the Heights as a worship pastor. I want to share with you a special story about my family. Our family has been blessed with a special gift from God. His name is Bobby, and he's my oldest brother. Bobby was born with Down syndrome. After Bobby was born, his mother decided that she didn't want to live having to take care of Bobby. She abandoned him, his sister, and my dad. Bobby's condition has only allowed him to develop mentally to the level of a three-year-old. He has several physical deformities that affect not only his speech, but his ability to move and move easily. It's extremely rare for a Downs child to live as long as Bobby has, but I have to tell you, I am thankful for each moment of his life. If you know Bobby, you know this. He loves to sing about Elvis. He loves to pretend that he's James Bond, Superman, John Wayne, Spider-Man, and Batman. Sometimes all rolled into one. But you know, most of all, Bobby loves to sing about Jesus. His favorite song is Amazing Grace. and He and I sing it together all the time. Bobby's life has been filled with rejection. I remember as a small child, people staring and avoiding Bobby because, because he was different. I could see the confusion and hurt in Bobby's eyes. and I never understood why people couldn't see what I saw in Bobby. He never holds a grudge. He never tries to hurt anyone. He just, he just loves. Bobby is coming to the end of his life. Alzheimer's is slowly taking over his mind and he is beginning to forget. My parents made the very difficult decision to move him into a nursing home this past August. It's hard to see someone you love end their life this way. But I think for me it is even harder when you know that the person has not been able to experience all the joys that life can bring. The joy of marriage, having children, even the joy of having a relationship with Christ. God knows every part of Bobby. He created him and he loves him. It has been hard. I know that my mom and dad have sacrificed a lot of their life caring for Bobby. I can't begin to speak for Bobby, but I can tell you, I wouldn't change a thing. Living life with Bobby in it has made my life better. And I believe with all my heart that when Bobby enters heaven, when his body and mind are completely healed, he will be able to see clearly all that Jesus did for him. He will be able to experience the fullness and love of Christ. He will look back on his earthly life and he'll be able to say, Jesus, you were worth it. That's a precious story, isn't it? You know, folks, as, uh, I-, I was listening to this. I listened to it yesterday. I don't put these, these stories together. A lot of times I'm, I'm not seeing them until Friday or, or Saturday. I didn't organize them or, or anything like that. And so, you know, I saw Dale's story, watched the video uh, just Friday or Saturday, like I said. And, 
You know, I thought that is really a very timely story following last week after where we were and what we dealt with last Sunday. You know, if you'll, if you'll remember, we looked in Mark chapter 8 and we saw there what I call the very heavy, the very serious, the, the very overwhelming call of Christ, the, the invitation to, to follow him. And remember we talked about, man, we deny ourselves. We, uh, we, we, we take up our cross. Remember Paul saying, it's, it's not even me who lives anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. And, and with Christ living in me, we now answer that call to, to follow him. And our life just completely becomes about him. And, and we introduced that passage with the, with the life of Pastor Saeed Abedini. And you remember, this is a, a, a pastor who's in prison right now for no other reason than being a follower of Christ in Iran. And, and we saw the letter that he wrote to his eight-year-old daughter just a couple of months ago uh, on her birthday. And we said, man, look at this. People really are paying this price. They really are following. And that, I mean, that just kind of added to the, to the heaviness of this. And you can feel like, man, I'm, I'm so far from anything like that. And while I certainly don't want us to back away from that call, man, when we take that step to follow Christ, we don't all pay the same price. We don't all pay an ultimate price. But when we take that step, then we're saying, man, I'm going to follow wherever it leads this week, whatever that means, whatever it costs, I'm going to follow. And, and as we think about the heaviness of that, I don't want us to think that we're not actually following that, that we're not actually showing the worth of Christ in our lives until we're sitting in prison. And, and, until we're being persecuted. I think Dale's story reminds us, you know, there's a lot we do as followers of Christ that just falls under the category of loving, and serving, caring for, uh, forgiving. Sometimes we do that in, in challenging situations. Sometimes we do it in difficult situations. Sometimes you will do that in situations where you're not applauded for it, you're not appreciated for it, but, but you keep right on doing that because he's worth it. Because you're following him. There are, there are a multitude of, I think you could even use the word small, unnoticed ways, things that you and I do every week because we're following Christ, because we love him. You know, there are some of you I, I, I know in here that I know kind of your story and what you're dealing with and what you're doing. And I'm always so amazed. You're here, you're here each Sunday. You're worshiping, you're serving, you're, you're, you're faithful to love and to care for others. And, and yet I know when you leave here, you go into a week that's like many weeks prior to it that is just filled with a very difficult situation, a very challenging situation. And there's absolutely no reason to believe it's ever going to be better. Right now, with the information you're working with, there, there's no reason to think anything's going to be fixed. And yet, you'll, you'll be here next Sunday, worshiping and serving with your smile on. You know, I, I want you to know, to me, and I, I believe to others around you that know you, your faithfulness communicates the worth of Christ. You know, in many respects, you, you're every bit the hero to me, the challenge to me in following Christ, as is a, a Pastor Saeed. Thank you for that. Thank you for how you love him and serve him and follow him in sometimes some, some difficult and challenging, challenging situations. I, I appreciate that, and I know many people around you do also, so thank you. You know, folks, as a part of the human experience, one of the things we have is questions, right? Yes, we always have questions, all kinds of questions. Sometimes they're just daily simple questions like, uh, where are my keys? 
We all have that question. What are we having for dinner? Do y'all have a replacement filter for this? You know, where do I put this? All kinds of questions. And we have questions that aren't so simple. We have questions we don't ask every day, but have a lot of heaviness to them. How am I going to, how am I going to deal with this marriage? How are we going to work through this financial situation? Do we move forward with chemo? All kinds of questions. We have questions that we have fun answering. We have questions that it's, it's exciting, it's intriguing, it's, it's fun to try to get to the, the answer to. There's a sense of accomplishment when we get there. About a year ago, I, I had a washing machine that was broken. Well, it wasn't broken, it worked. It's just that while it was working, water poured out the front of it. I guess that's broken, isn't it? I guess that would, that would qualify for broken. Well, I'm not, uh, I, I think those of you who know me, I'm, I'm somewhat less than the most mechanical person you know. As a matter of fact, I'm far less than the most mechanical person you know. But I, I went to the source of all answers in life, Google. And, and I, I, just, I just Googled my machine and the problem. I just wrote it out all in the little square there and, and hit enter. And the answer came up. And, and there, there was, took me to a YouTube answer. And this guy was taking apart the machine and showing how to replace the part and put it back together. And I don't know what came over me. I thought, I can do that. And so... Uh, <laughs> This was incredible. And, and so I, I, uh, I had to order this part. And, uh, and not knowing that that was the problem, but th- that's what the video said. So I ordered the part about five days later. I'm watching the video again, and I take my machine apart. Did you know there's a little over 19 million parts uh, for, for a washing machine? And, and so I, I get it apart. I replace the part. I put it back together. And yes, sir, it worked. It, I'm tell- it was awesome. No, 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 no. I'm telling you right now, listen to me. It was art what I did in the laundry room that day. I should have been videoed. Somebody should be watching me put this washing machine together. See, that's fun. I had a question. I had an issue. I got this answer. But you know what I say that, folks? There's other questions that you and I have. And when when we pursue the answer, you know what? It's not even fun pursuing the answer. It's not even fun when we get there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. You, you had a question. You had an issue. It was challenging. You worked to the answer. And even when the answer came up, there was no joy in that. There, there was no sense of, of celebration in that. And then, and then there's questions you don't ever get an answer to. It, it's, it's never resolved. You don't even believe it will be resolved. And just I mean, think about it, folks. There is this massive spectrum, spectrum of questions, a lot of questions. But today we're going to talk about the question. All the questions humanity can deal with and answer, we're going to talk about the one question, the most important question. What separates it from all others, folks, is if you don't deal with this question, Ultimately, it doesn't matter what other questions get answered or don't answered. It doesn't matter what what answers and resolutions you arrive at if this one question is not dealt with. We're going to hear this question twice. It's going to sound a little bit different each time, but, but it's the same question. See if you can catch it. Turn with me today to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As you're, return, as you're turning there, let's remind ourselves this gospel is written by Mark. He's writing it to the church in first century Rome. And he's writing that upon the occasion of the cost for following going up. 
It was a group of people much like this room. They believed, they were followers, they were trying to follow, but they were living at a place and a time in history where the cost for following was going up. It was getting more challenging, more difficult. And so he writes this gospel to embolden that faith, to strengthen that faith in following Christ. And we've said that's our purpose. Our our purpose isn't any different from what Mark's was. And and as we look at the series, as we look at today's passage, we read each passage thinking, how does this embolden me? How does this help me? How does this motivate me to follow Christ this week, whatever that's going to look like? Whatever that's going to cost, whatever that's going to mean. So we're kind of reading to look for that answer in in this question. Let's look. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as he, that's Jesus, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. We hear the question come first from our young and apparently quite wealthy man here as he runs up to Jesus and he says, Hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to go to heaven when I die? And then we see a little bit later in the story, the disciples ask the same question. Well, then who can be saved? Same question. Let's see how Jesus deals with it. Again, our young man runs up to Jesus. He is dealing with what I call the most important question, the eternal question. Hey, who doesn't want things to be okay right here and right now? We all do. I I want today's questions answered. I want today's problems resolved. I want to enjoy today. But folks, every now and then we should, we need to step out of the here and now and start thinking about what's the actual condition of my soul, not for today or tomorrow, but for all eternity. And apparently that's what this guy's done. He's saying, listen, I got a lot of good things going on. I'm grateful for those good things right here and right now. But what about to say forever? And so he runs up to Jesus and he, and he asks this question. And you see Jesus responds to him. Jesus, hey, man, you know the commands. 
And, and Jesus recites basically the, the back half of the Ten Commandments, the last six. There's, there's six that have to do with our relationship with each other. And the first four commands are our relationship with God. A lot of discussion about this, about why Jesus recites the six he does. Why doesn't he recite the first four? Why not take a few from the first four and a few from the next six? Or what about all the commands outside of the Ten Commandments? What about all the... Why did he... Pick these what I mean he didn't mention the great commandment you know love God and the second one's just like it love each other of course those kind of flow out of the 10 don't they or to me I think maybe the greatest command of all believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins isn't it interesting you and I want to know what do I need to do to get into heaven what's the commands to obey when really what I ought to be asking is what do I do about all the commands I know I don't obey what about all the ones I don't even try to obey? What about the mess I've made? So there's, see, there's all kinds of commands Jesus could have gone to. And since there are, then the question is, why these? Where, are these the most important? What? You know, I think sometimes we can overthink things. I, I don't think the issue is what commands Jesus recited or which commands he did not recite. I, I don't know if I'm right here. I think he's just getting the thinking juices flowing. I, I just, hey, hey, what do I do to get saved? And Jesus, hey, you know, you need to obey God. And he, and, and he recites commands to get us thinking about, well, you know, yeah, those six. And then there's the first four. And then there's the great. And we start thinking about the commands. He's just talking about obedience. And then you hear the young guy's response. What does he say? Hey, I, I've done that. I, I know those commands. I've, I've obeyed those. Here again, I... I think some folks will read those or read his response and go, you know, that sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it? Kind of prideful. I mean, it, I mean, it kind of sounds like he's saying, I've, I've been perfectly obedient. I, I've not missed. I've, I've not made any mistakes. I, I don't think he's saying that for this reason. I think he's there for help, right? He's, he's been obedient. He's been trying to obey the commands, but he's come to Jesus. He knows something is missing. He's knowing something's not quite adding up in his soul. He's not there to proclaim his perfection. He's not, he's not there uh, because he's put it all together. He's there to get help, not justify himself. I, I think all he's really saying is, yes, I know these commands. Yes, that's what I'm committed to. That's what I'm trying to obey. That's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. And you see his response there. Now, I think probably the biggest reason I cut this guy a little slack and I don't see arrogance in his response is because is I'm taking a little cue from Jesus. L look at how Jesus responds to him. You, you know, folks, if we've seen anything over and over and over in the gospel of Mark is that Jesus knows what's going on inside us, doesn't he? He, he knows what we speak and he knows what we don't speak. He knows what our motives are. He knows what our intentions are. While we're waving our arms and answering questions, he knows what's really going on inside. And so as this guy answers the question, and Jesus sees not only what he's doing on the outside, but knows what's going on on the inside, what does it say? It says he looked at him, and he loved him. He didn't look at him and say, man, you're arrogant. Man, you're kidding me. You really think you've obeyed all the commands? No, it says he looked at him. And he loved him. I, it looks to me like Jesus senses a certain sense of genuineness in his pursuit of God and of eternal life. And I think it's so important we see that he loved him. Because, folks, love is the driver of the rest of this story. Love is what motivates and moves Jesus in what he does next. Because what Jesus does next is get to the heart of the issue 
in this man's life. Love moves him to say, okay, man, I can see you're for real. So let's talk about it. Money. It's out of grace. It's out of love. Please hear that, that he says, let's talk about the fact that in your pursuit of God, God's not your God. Oh, that's hard to hear, isn't it? God, what do you mean God's not my God? Of course God's my God. I go to church every Sunday and I obey the rules and I'm, I'm standing here talking to you about getting God. You know, folks, the Bible talks about money more than about any issue in Scripture. As a matter of fact, you can take all the verses on prayer, all the verses on faith, add them up, and you have less than half of the verses that talk about money. Its use, our attitudes, the commands, all the, Why so much about money? I think I have a very simple, very logical response to that because, folks, there's very little else in life that gives us a sense of self-sufficiency. Simply put, I don't need God. I, don't, I think very few of us actually say, I don't need God, but that's what money does. It gives me that sense of strength, of okay, I've got power. I think there's, I think there's nothing else like money that competes for the God position in our lives like money does. I'm not saying there's nothing else. There's all kinds of things all kinds of people, all kinds of desires that can try to fit into the God position. All kinds of things that can give us a sense of, of self-sufficiency. But if you look down throughout history, you go across cultures, and even here in this room today, money has an incredible power to make me feel okay. And, and, and that's why Jesus says, this is why it's so hard for rich people, because they have all this stuff to count on. They have all this stuff to tell them that they're okay. And, and, and so Jesus creates this moment. He, he creates this situation. Remember, love is guiding it, not entrapment, not trying to get a gotcha, but out of love, Jesus creates this moment, this test now, I think the test is, is brilliant. You know, I mean, Jesus could look at him and say, really, you want eternal life? Because I'm going to tell you right now, son, God's not your God, money is. And you know what I'm guessing that young man would do? The exact same thing you and I would do. Uh-uh, no, it's not. End, end of discussion, right? Jesus makes an accusation, we would deny it. And so what Jesus does, he doesn't make an accusation. He just simply puts the test out there. Make your choice. And the guy turns and walks away. I mean, it just, it, it, it just in a moment, boom, it's over. The whole test, it's done. He turns. He absolutely would choose money in the moment over God and eternity. Folks, do you realize who we're looking at? I mean, I mean, if this guy is sitting in here right now, man, I don't, I don't know, I'm 25, 30 years old maybe, and, and, and he's come up in the church, and, and we, I mean, this is a young leader, this is, this is somebody who's going to be leading the church of the future, and, and, and he's a churchgoer, and he's a rule keeper. We know who his God is. And Jesus said, so do I. I also know who his God is. And so he created that moment. And the guy, sure enough, very clear to himself, very clear to all to see in that moment, turned and walked away, making it very clear who his God is. And the crowd is stunned. Not with the young man. They're stunned by Jesus and, and where he's going with this. You say they lived in a culture, and I think this is probably true through all cultures, but it was, it was very definitive there 
wealth was a sign of God's favor. It was a sign of God's blessing. So remember, in their mind, they're looking at somebody that, as far as they can tell, is living for the Lord. He's a rule keeper. He's a churchgoer. And he's wealthy. I mean, this guy's the definitive example of what it looks like when God loves somebody and and when God is blessing somebody. Surely he is saved. And then Jesus goes through this suggesting, no, no, you're, 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 that's not a sign that, that you're okay with God. As a matter of fact, what we just saw here is that God's not even his God. And, and so they're, they're kind of stunned by all of this. And that's what leads the disciples in to call out, well, who in the world can be saved? If this guy is not a model of being saved, then, then who is? You know, folks, I want to make something clear here. Jesus is not challenging that this guy had wealth. He's not challenging what he did with wealth or what he was going to do with wealth. What what Jesus was challenging in this individual was who his God is. And he knows the power that wealth has to deceive us. You see, it's not a sin to have money. It's not a sin to use money. It's not a sin to, to enjoy Money. It is absolutely a sin to not see your brokenness and your emptiness before God. Do you realize the power that money has in hiding our bankruptcy? Let me say that again. Money has an incredible power, an incredible ability to deceive you and me in our bankruptness before God that's the sin and so then there's their question well then who can be saved and Jesus says well listen if you're talking about what you're going to do what you're going to accomplish what you're going to gain what you're going to grow up into it it, it, it's impossible and by the way that's not just a statement about the rich hey listen it's impossible if you're rich it's impossible if you're poor It's impossible if you're a churchgoer. It's impossible if you're a church hater. It's impossible if you're a rule keeper. It's impossible if you're a rule breaker. Because no matter what way describes you, it all comes under one great big word. You're a sinner who has rebelled against God, even in your church-going, rule-keeping stance. Man, it's impossible if we're talking about something you're going to accomplish, you're going to do. But here's the good news. What's impossible for you and me is not impossible for God. Nothing is impossible with God, including rescuing, including saving you and me. Now, folks, as I said a moment ago, we read each passage saying, okay, what is in this week's passage? What am I reading right here that would be a reason for me to say, man, Christ is worth it? Whatever following to him means this week, he's worth it. Well, folks, I think we see the biggest thing right here. Why would I follow Christ? Why would I trust Christ? Because, man, he can do for me what I can't do for myself. He can do the impossible in my life. It's his salvation. It's his eternity. It's not mine to inherit. It's not mine to earn. It's not mine to earn. It's his. And, and he will give it. What a reason to cling to Christ. What a reason to to trust in Christ. Ah, but that brings us kind of full circle back to our lesson. See, that's what he's showing the young man. You want to inherit eternal life? Well, it comes down to what are you trusting in? And he gives him an option. Trust in God or trust in your money. A lot of times we won't work through that. We won't find the discernment to get to that choice. But that's what Jesus is doing. And so, folks, that leads you and me today. If, If I'm following the scripture 
then right now what I need, and I, you know, folks, I, I think we've been kind of needing this after nine or 10 weeks. I think we've been needing this after last week and this week, this call to follow. And am I really following? We need to create this opportunity. What's the decision I'm making? And, and there's a spectrum here of things that we value more than Christ, things that we hold on to more than Christ, things that we trust more than Christ. Remember what the rich young ruler shows us, and we can do that as a churchgoer and rule keeper. Now, on one end of the spectrum, what we just saw with the, with the rich guy is I could be trusting in all the good in my life. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm good looking, I'm popular, I'm rich, I'm successful, I'm, I'm happy, I'm healthy. Wh- whatever it is, I just look at all this goodness and I, I mean, surely that says I'm okay. Certainly that says I'm a, a, a pretty decent person. I don't think we utter these words, but it's almost as if, how could God not want me? How, how could I not be good enough for God? L- look at all the good and we hold on to that good and cling to that good and sometimes that good becomes our God. But on the other end of the spectrum, now this is not what the story illustrates today, but, but we're looking at what we hold on to instead of Christ. And sometimes what we're holding on to is not all the good in our life. We're holding on to the failure. We're, we're holding on to the hurt. We're holding on to the pain. As a matter of fact, some of the pain we hold on to, we're convinced is proof that Christ is not trustworthy, that I, that I should not throw myself at him. Some of it we look at and it just brings shame and guilt. And so while this person over here is saying, how could I not be good enough for God? This person is saying, I'll never be good enough for God. While this person is saying, how could God not want me? This person is saying, how could God want me? But do you realize they're both, while very different ends of the spectrum, it's the same thing. Their focus is on something other than Christ. Their focus is on something other than God. It's what's between them and God. Riches and success, failure and misery. But that's what they're focused on. I wonder if today, folks, I wonder if today you and I could find the discernment and the ability to really look inside our soul right now and look at what is between me and God. Am I focused on anything, anyone, something, some desire? Maybe I don't even have it. But what am I focused on more than Christ? What am I depending upon more than Christ? And I wonder if, if in a moment, you and I, if we would be willing, maybe to stand up and take a step of faith and come down here to these altars and just kneel down before the Lord and, and leave it there. Leave your riches, leave your success and your popularity and what a good person you are and what a good church person you are. You just leave it there. I'm not, that's not going to be my focus. That's not going to be what I value, Lord. I want to clean this out of my life and so faithfully stay focused just on you, see just you and follow just you. Can we lay that down? Or, or, or maybe we're down here on the other end. Lord, I'm not laying down my riches. I'm laying down my poverty. I'm laying down my anger. I'm laying down my hurt. I'm laying down my shame and my guilt. That will not be the focus, but the beauty of you will be my focus. You know what, folks? I can't tell you what's going to happen when you lay it down. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what God will do with that. I don't know what that will mean to tomorrow. I don't know what the challenge will be in that, the, the difficulty will be. I can't tell you what will happen if you trust Christ. I can tell you this, whatever he does next will be driven by love. Whatever he does next will be driven by his grace. He's for you. He's not trying to empty you. He's trying to fill you 
with God and with eternal life. Would we come down here and do business with God? Would we come down here and maybe talk to a pastor about getting saved or joining the church or being baptized? Now, now let, me ask, let me answer a question. Do we have to come down here to do business with God right now about following Him? Do, do we have to come down here and talk to a pastor about, about getting saved, about beginning a relationship with Christ? And the answer, you already know my, my answer is going to be, don't you? No, of course not. No, I don't have a single verse that would say some part of what you do has to include getting up from a chair and coming down a, a, a row and, and coming down here. Folks, I'll tell you right, I'll be the first one to say there's absolutely nothing mystical about these steps. When your knees hit these steps, the, the heaven doesn't bust open in a new way that it wouldn't open for you back there. No, you, you do not have to come down here to do business with God. You do not have to come down here to begin following Christ. But why won't you? Why won't you do it? I'll tell you why most don't. Because we're concerned what somebody around us is going to think. Man, if I go down there, then my, my, my kids are going to say, what, what did that mean? What were you doing? My mate. I mean, somebody, I'm in life group class. Everybody here thinks I'm a good person. I'm living the Christian life. If I go down there, they're going to they're think I must be confessing some horrible sin and I'm a, I'm a bad person. And, and so we got all these thoughts. What are, what are people going to think? Folks, do you realize that in that moment right there, there is zero difference between you and the young ruler in this passage? What we're saying in that moment is, I value what people around me might think if I move more than I value Christ. And while what you do with Christ does not have to always be some big public thing, folks, I encourage you to read the Gospel of Mark. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and watch how many times Jesus engages with an individual. Think how personal this conversation is. I mean, this is eyeball to eyeball. This is person to person happening in a crowd. You know what, folks, if I'm ashamed or if I'm embarrassed, remember last week's passage, Jesus said, I'm calling you to follow me. And if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. If you're ashamed of who I am, if you're ashamed of what I've taught and what I stand for, then I'll be ashamed of you. Listen, if I can't take a stand for Christ in here, where, where, where people mostly support that, we do support that, Right? Yeah, man, we, we're for somebody when they do that. We applaud somebody when they do that. We pray for them. We celebrate them. Listen, if I can't take a stand for Christ in here because I'm concerned what people might think, do you realize, folks, this is not a judgmental statement. This is just looking back at every day prior to five minutes ago. If you can't take a stand in here, there is a 0% chance you will ever take a stand out there. Because out there, they don't applaud it for sure, do they? At best, you get a neutral response out in the world. At worst, there's mocking, rejection, and persecution. Maybe another way to say this is, if I can't stand for Christ among friendlies, if I can't do business with Christ among friendlies, then there's no chance I'm going to do it in the presence of enemies. We need this moment. 
And I don't know that every single day or every single Sunday, Jesus is driving us towards some big decision. But folks, I look at the passage we're at today and that appears to be what Jesus is doing. He is driving that man and by us who will be studying that man's life 2,000 years later, he is driving us to a point of decision. What is between you and faithfully following me? Now, I want to ask you in just a moment to stand up and to come down to these altars. Several people will come down. One is somebody that's already a follower of Christ, already a believer. And whether that decision was made three months ago or 30 years ago, they know they're not really following. They know something is not right in the way they follow Christ. You know, I think sometimes on one hand, We know it instantly. We know immediately what's in our lives right now and why we're not really following. But then I think other times it takes a little bit of discernment and prayer. We're not real clear on whether we're really following Christ or not because we have deceived ourselves with churchianity. We've deceived ourselves with our church goingness and our our rule keeping that I really am a follower of Christ even though I don't actually follow him anywhere. But right now, between you and the Lord, Lord, is there something between you and me and really following? And and if you know there is, if if God says to you that there is, then I encourage you to come down here to this altar and lay that down before him and do do business with him. Some of you in here may want to take advantage of this time. I'm going to have our pastors come. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have them come right now. Mike's coming. James, Ronnie. And guys, just kind of based on the last two, Stop. (laughs) Right there. So stand up, stand up. I want you all to see who they are because it, it, I, I, the reason I want you to see them and, and stand a little further into the aisle, into yeah, the row, because if there's some folks down here today, I, I, I want you to know who it is you're aiming at and where they are. And so you see these, these three guys here. Because see, for some of you following, I would encourage you to take advantage of a pastor today and, and come to one of these pastors and say, you know what, I think for me to begin following Christ, I, I need to become a child of God. I need to begin the relationship and let them pray with you and talk with you about that. Maybe you want to come forward and talk to one of these pastors about, I think I need to begin following by, by beginning with believer's baptism. Maybe you, want to, maybe you want to join the church. You know, folks, if you're following Christ, you're moving to the center. Every day you follow him will move you closer together with other believers. It moves you into a more committed relationship, a more engaged relationship. Because we follow Christ together. It's together that we do that. that that's why we, we almost every Sunday we're talking about get in a life group, get in a life group. And, and our reason for that is get in a room where you can build relationships and follow Jesus together. And you know what the sad thing is, folks? And I want to see this broken in our church. I want to see it broken in every church in America. You know why we don't follow Christ together? Because we have the same pride in here that exists out there. I'm not going to come forward because you'll think something bad about me. I'm not going to come forward. Our our pride is driving. We pray about everything in the church. But you you know what prayer you don't hear? Hey, man, would you pray for me this week? I am. I am not following Christ very well. I'll tell you one area I need. I'm not following Christ very well in my marriage. I, I tell you my finances. I don't, I don't do anything with Christ in my finances. You know what? In, in this fear over here, I don't follow. We don't hear a lot of those prayer requests, do we? Because we're so dialed in on being alone. 
Sadly, there's nothing in the New Testament that encourages you how you follow Christ alone. Christ gave us a body, a family, a group to do this together. And don't, don't lay out there on the fringe. Come to the center say, I want to be a part. I want to join. I want to be involved in God's family. Maybe you need to come forward today and say, I want to become a part of the church. There are two people who do not need to come forward today, two groups of people. One, those who will turn and walk away. And I'd like to think nowhere in this room is that going to happen. I've been praying about this moment all week long. I'm like, nobody's going to turn and walk away. But golly, somebody that stood right in front of Jesus and looked at him right in the eyes turned and walked away. So I recognize the reality that that will happen in here today too. Not interested in that. Don't want it. What people do think is more important to me. That person doesn't need to come forward, right? There's somebody else that doesn't need to come forward. I, I, I hope, I pray, a good number of us, we're, we're following Christ, right? And, and while we need to grow, while we can certainly take on new areas, there's actually nothing between us and Christ. There's nothing I need to lay down at this moment. I'm, I'm following Christ. I, I hope there's a significant number like that in here. I'm not saying just for show, come down here and lay something down when you don't, there's nothing there. If Christ doesn't call you to come forward, don't, don't do that. You know what's interesting? The person that's turning and walking away and the person that is faithfully following Christ, we won't know the difference, will we? Nobody in this room will know the difference of what's happening except God. He'll know. Is Christ calling you forward to do business with him? Is he calling you forward to step into a relationship with him, with his church? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray now you will move through this room and you'll speak to each heart in here. Holy Spirit, would you, would you guide them in what the next moment for them looks like, in the step that they need to take? Holy Spirit, I, I pray that nobody would come because people are moving. I pray people wouldn't keep from coming because nobody's moving. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that nobody would come for show. I pray that nobody would come for my voice. I can't think of anything more insignificant right now than my voice. Holy Spirit, this moment is about your voice. I pray that those that move are answering Christ's call in their life right now to deal with him in what's between them and Jesus in following to come into that relationship, to come into the church. Holy Spirit, guide us in what step we need to take now. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.